Christians are part of the bride of Christ, and we belong to no one but Jesus Christ. And it's treason to take the bride of Christ as if it were someone's own possession. And you might think, well, how can that be, Mark? Well, you. That's how. You might have given your life over and said, Jesus, I want to be yours, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to be part of the bride of Christ. And then all of a sudden, there's guidance. There's God telling you what to do, and he's asking for obedience and submission. As Christians, we are the bride of Christ, and God made the institution of marriage a symbol of the union between His church and Him being the groom. This is the main reason marriage is so viciously attacked by the world and the devil, because it's a picture that should point people to the relationship they could have with Jesus. The devil tries to take everything God has said is good and tries to pervert it and twist it up and make it bad. We need to take marriage seriously, and we need to keep marriage sacred. The world will try to change marriage into everything other than what God has intended it to be. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 3 with today's edition of Come Alive. We saw in the first verse of chapter 3 last week, now there was a long war, it says, verse 1, now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David, but David grew stronger and stronger, and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. And so just right there, knowing that sometimes... You know, here we see this long war. It wasn't, it should have just been one long war, but it was a bunch of small battles is what it is. A bunch of little nitpicking things. And sometimes in a household that can happen. It might seem like there's a long war between spouses and it's just these little nitpicking things. They go and they're good for a little while and then bam, here's this little battle. And then it's good for a little while and then bam, a little battle. And then here it goes and here it goes. And so that's what this verse here is kind of talking about. The long war between the house of Saul and David is just a bunch of small little battles that just took place instead of just getting it all over with at one time. It's just a bunch of little things that took a long time to to get to. Verse 2 says, the sons were born to David. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and his second uh, Keliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third, Absalom, the son of Makkah, the daughter of Talmai, the king of Geshur. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Haggith. That's a cool name. The fifth, um, Sheftah, and the son of Abital. And the sixth, Ithream, by David's wife, Eglah. And these were born to David in Hebron. Now you might think, well, man, that's a, that's a lot of kids. From my point of view, it is a lot of kids, but it's also a lot of wives. He's got a lot of wives, and there's still one that that will be brought back in 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 a little while. And so it seems that here that when when you see this during David's seven-year reign in Hebron, he's got six different wives, gives birth to six sons, and this shows that David went against God's commandment. And we see that in Deuteronomy 17, 17. So these were born to David in Hebron. So this is where David is. And we must say that God uh, used and blessed David despite his many wives. And you can see that. Sometimes despite your sin, God will bless you. 
For instance, you may have blown it really bad yesterday. Maybe you said something really mean to somebody or, you know, you're driving down the road and you cut someone off on purpose. You had a little bit of road rage. And despite your horribleness, the Lord blessed you. Like, well, you know, I didn't get anything big. I didn't win the lottery. Well, that's a blessing, but that's not. At the end of the day, did anyone in your family fall sick to cancer or die or get injured in a real bad way? Did your car have a repair that costs thousands of dollars? If it's no, then you've been blessed. You were blessed in a way that you just take for granted sometimes. And so yet, David is blessed, but he's not blessed because of his six wives. He's blessed because of God. And so he has these six wives and these six sons. And again, God's not pleased with polygamy. And so if you do the history, and we'll just mention a few of these things. One of his sons, Amnon, raped his half-sister and then was murdered by his half-brother. So Keliab, also known as Daniel in First Chronicles 3.1, you'll see his name. The few mentions of this son indicates that perhaps he died young or that he was very ungodly and an unworthy man. And Absalom murdered his half-brother and led a civil war against his father, David, attempting to murder his own dad. You might think, well, that's not a blessing. That's, that's horrible. And again, it's because David wanted something that he shouldn't have had. Um, Adonijah tried to seize the throne from David and David's uh, appointed successor. And then he tried to take one of David's concubines and was executed for his arrogance. And we're going to talk about why that's wrong in a second when we see this, this accusation against Abner. And then we can uh, assume that... Um, Shephthah and and Ethrium either died young or were ungodly or unworthy men, mentioned only once again in scriptures in a generic listing of David's son. So they really don't have a whole lot there. And so just because it was fashionable, just because it was the thing to do, just because everyone else was doing it and it was okay with society doesn't really mean that it's okay with God. And so that's the one thing that if we get anything out of these uh, verses here, these five verses, two through seven, is that just because everyone else around you is doing it, and even though they may be Christians and it looks like it's okay, go to God's word and find out if it is. If it is. Because, I mean, David knew God's word. He knew it. He just probably got caught up in the, I want to be like the other kings. I want to show that I have power, and I want to show that. Well, what he shows in the end of his life is a lot of misery, a lot of problems with, with all these family problems that go on here. Look at verse 6 again. It says, And now it was, so while there was war between the houses of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine whose name was Rizpah, the daughter of Aiah. And so Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? And then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I show loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and I have I not delivered you or have I have not delivered you into the hands of David, and you have charged me with today with a fault concerning this woman? And so he gets a little upset. He's accused of something. And so it seems that Abner supported, and when you think about it, and we talked about it last week, Abner supports this really weak guy, Ishbosheth, one of Saul's sons. And so he, he kind of lifts him up. He makes him a king in front of all the people of Israel. And so Abner's actually the power behind this king. And sometimes we have to be careful that people might do that to you. 
It may be in some way, I don't know, maybe in, at your job that people want you, but maybe you're not the right person for the job. And sometimes we just need to learn to take a stand without have, being somebody's puppet. And so here, the, he, Abner's the power behind the throne. And as time went on, he, he increases in strength, Abner does, and influence on the house of Saul. And so he asks a question, Ishbosheth, the king, says, why have you gone into my father's concubine? So he's accusing Abner of a very serious crime. And this was regarded not only to sexual immorality, but high treason. In those days, if you had concubines or, and wives, multiple wives and multiple concubines, if another man went to sleep with one of your concubines or your wife, that was a, that was a power play. That meant he is publicly kind of going out there saying, hey, I'm, I'm about to take over. So Ishbosheth gets a little upset. Now, this guy probably doesn't realize that, well, if I lose Abner, I'm going to lose everything. He doesn't realize that. And he should have just been king and, and not had one guy telling him what to do. But to take the wife or a concubine of a late monarch was to appropriate his property and to make a bid for the throne. So that's what, what it looked like to, to Ishbosheth. And this might seem strange that this was a controversy over a concubine of Saul, especially because, well, Saul is dead. And so here in their thinking, the king's bride belongs to him and him alone, even if he was absent. And the next person in line, Ishbosheth, would have all that his father owned, including the concubines and the wives. So this principle is even more true um, when you think about it in the sense that here's this power play. And you can see what happened when we talked about one of David's sons doing this, why he had to be executed, because it was, again, a play against the throne. And so, again, this principle is even true um, when you think about it, it's more true when you think about Jesus and us, his bride. And Jesus is going to conquer anyone that tries to grab his bride and take them away. He's going he's to stand in power. The church belongs to no one but Jesus Christ. You and I as Christians are part of the bride of Christ, and we belong to no one but Jesus Christ. And it's treason to take the bride of Christ as if it were someone's own possession. And you might think, well, how can that be, Mark? Well, you... That's how. You might have given your life over and said, Jesus, I want to be yours, and I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to be part of the bride of Christ. And then all of a sudden, there's guidance. There's God telling you what to do, and he's asking for obedience and submission, right? The New Testament talks about that for wives, for husbands to love their wives as Jesus loved the church. A husband should be willing to die for the church. And we know that Jesus died for you and I, but yet... What if that bride just decided to do her own thing? And so you and I tend to commit treason when we're like, okay, but we're not going to do it. I I know what I'm supposed to do, uh, but I'm just going to go ahead and turn my back on that. And that would be treason. And so we can't treat ourselves like we are our own possession. A lot of times, many Christians do that. You hear it a lot. Well, I think and I want and I need. And it's like, well, where's God play a role in that? Where's God in all of this? Where's God stand in your life? Is he first or is he second? Hey, you might say first, but if somebody had to take a look at your life, maybe if you looked at your own life from the outside and you said, wow, you know, it doesn't look like God's first in my life. If I was looking out from the inside, being able to do that, maybe it looks like you're first and it's all about you and what you want. Look at verse 8. Then Abner became very angry, it says. And so he says something to him. He says, have I stood beside you, bro? Haven't I been the guy to protect you? 
I mean, here in verse 1, we read about the long war. So the war is still possibly raging. I haven't done anything to be disloyal. And you're accusing me of this thing? And he's probably telling them, the only reason you're still in power is because of me. Because I'm the only thing standing between you and death. Me and my army. But we aren't specifically told. But Abner's response leads us to believe that the accusation was fake. If he was guilty, it's possible as he was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul, that he took the concubine as an expression of power and dominance. But it seems like he's not, by the way, he takes a stand on this thing. It's more likely that because of Abner's increasing power, uh, this king, Ishbosheth, probably thought it necessary to invent an accusation as grounds for getting rid of Abner. And so that's possibly what could be taking place. Verse 9 says, May God do so to Abner, and more also, if I do not do for David as the Lord has sworn to him. Verse 10, To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. So here's this king who's afraid of his general. This guy is afraid. And you look at why he's afraid. Just think about the transfer of power that Abner just said. But here's one thing I want us to notice. Abner told Ishbosheth that he would now support David and help David fulfill what the Lord had promised. It's easy just to read over that, but we should catch it. To transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul to set up the throne of David. Well, if Abner knew that David was the true king, why did he fight against him before this? You know, think about that. It seems that he knew it. It seems that he knew that David was anointed king over all Israel, that Samuel had done this anointing. Yet, why was he fighting against David? Why was he kicking against the goats, so to speak? See, Abner, to me, and as I look at this, he's a very good example of those of us who know things to be true, but we don't live as if they really are. You know who you are. It's me and it's you. We know what's to be true and what we are to do, yet we don't live in that manner. We continue to push the envelope. We want to step across the line a little bit. I was talking to a police officer once. We were talking about speed limits. And he goes, you know, it's funny. He goes, when the speed limit increases, well, people start to go over. He will still write, because I asked, I said, do you think you'll still write the same amount of tickets? He goes, oh, yeah, probably more. He goes, because now people have license to push it just a little further. The speed limit, you can go anywhere up to that limit. It's lawful. You don't have to do 75. It's not a speed suggestion. It's not 75 or faster. It's 75 or 70 or whatever that speed limit is. And I always joke because this little road out here doesn't have one, so I do 90 to 100 if I can get my truck going. I'm kidding. But I I drive pretty fast on it because there's not a speed limit. But common knowledge says... It's in a residential area. It should only be 30. And so if I got pulled over, I could say, well, there's not a speed limit sign. All they'd have to do is look at my driver's license and say, well, you live in Katy. You should know better. Ignorance is no excuse or whatever that saying is. I've never been told that. But it's the speed limit. There's limits. God sets limits for you and I. He gives it to us in his word, and yet we tend to want to step over those limits and those boundaries. Oh, we know what's true and right. Yet we continue to do the wrong. We all know what, what is right. And yet we tend to do what is wrong. And just like the children yesterday, 
they were disciplined. They reaped what they sowed. And so, same thing here. Abner did the right thing in joining David's army. So, you know, a lot of us do and know things to be true, but we don't live as if they are the true things to do. And so what happens? Abner defects. He does the right thing, joins the other side, but he did it for the wrong reason. A lot of people who call themselves Christians also defect from the other side to the Christian side for the wrong reason. Fire insurance. I just want to go to heaven. I just need fire insurance. And as we spoke before, we say it's not a magic prayer. Just because somebody comes up and raises their hand and says, I give my life to the Lord, and you can say, well, what about the thief on the cross? Well, he, his walk was short. His race was a short race. He finished his race. Jesus guaranteed him that day he'd see paradise. Have you had that personal guarantee that you'll see paradise? And is your walk going to continue, or at some point are you going to fall away? And only you and I know if we're saved. It's between you and God, not me and you and God. It's, it's you and me. Paul talks about finishing a race. We also see a lot of different talk in the Bible about justification. And we get justification and glorification. We get those things twisted up sometimes. But as Christians, are we walking the walk? As a tree that produces oranges, is it an orange tree? Or if it doesn't produce oranges, what's that make it? A fruitless tree. And so part of that is, is that we show fruit in our lives continuously, not just once in a while. It's a hard thing to do, but it's, it's just saying, you know what? Walk with the Lord. Be obedient. Be surrendered. You, you can't be a captive or a slave if you're not surrendered, if you're not willing to give up yourself and live in your master's household. So Abner did what, what was seen as right, but he did it for the wrong reason. Instead of joining David because Ishbosheth offended him personally, he he should have joined David because he knew that David was God's choice as king. And now he knew that. He had the knowledge. And a lot of people have a lot of knowledge about the Bible as to right and wrong. But that doesn't, that doesn't seal the relationship. It's a relationship. You can know somebody and still not be their husband or wife. I know a lot of ladies in the church. And just because I know them and I know of their problems and I know of their situations and I know... That doesn't make me their husband. It doesn't make that relationship the way my wife and I have a relationship. Knowledge doesn't dictate relationship. Relationship is spending time with that other person. Giving yourself to that other person and having that other person give to you and you receiving those gifts that, that are given. And, and enjoying it, being passionate about that other person. And so it's important that we realize and we understand that. Look at verse 12. It says, And then Abner sent messengers on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is the land? Saying also, Make your covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but I will make a covenant with you, but you shall not see my face unless you first bring Michael, Saul's daughter. Okay, so David's got six wives, and you might be thinking, Really? Do you need another one? Do you not have enough? Uh, But he wants Michael because Michael was promised to him. He says, when you see my face, you know, you won't see my face until I have Saul's daughter, Michael. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, give me my wife, Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. If anybody remembers the story, it was really 200. 
But that was the original payment that Saul required. David talks about himself being like, hey, I'm just a poor dude. I don't have a lot of money. And so here's what I want. I want 100 foreskins of these Philistines. And he didn't think it was going to happen. And all of a sudden, David shows up with 200. He says, just in case this guy's going to try to pull a fast one on me, I'm going to show up with extras. And so David pays this crazy price for Michael. And so he says, whom I betrothed to myself with, the, with those 100 foreskins. And this describes how David used this unusual payment instead of a dowry for the right to marry the daughter of King Saul. So he says, give me my wife. That's his wife. And you might be thinking, well, why did he really need another wife? Well, he insisted on receiving Michael as his wife again for at least three reasons. One is David remembered that Michael was simply his wife by both love and right. David was in love with her, and so it was by love and right. And that King Saul took her away as part of a deliberate strategy to attack and to destroy David. So he takes her away. David wanted a, another reason is David wanted to show that he had harbored no bitterness towards the house of Saul. And so he would show this through this good treatment of Saul's daughter. He would treat her kindly and with favor. And David wanted to give himself probably a greater claim to the throne as his son-in-law, Saul's son-in-law. Could have been a political move as well as, a, as an intimate loving move on his part. And David wanted to show that he didn't harbor any bitterness towards Saul. And we know that because he mourned Saul's death. However, distressing it was to take her from a husband who loved her most tenderly. And a lot of people are like, oh, this is really cruel. This is, this is horrible when you really look at it. And so if you look at verse 15, it says, And Ishbosheth sent back and took her from her husband, from Peltiel, the son of Laish. And then her husband went along with her to Bahrim, weeping behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. This is a sad picture. It's a very sad picture. She marries another guy because David's not around. And this guy's truly in love because he's following her weeping, crying. Oh, please. And it's just, you know, I mean, I was talking and thinking about this. I was like, man, this has got to be just really rough for the dude, trying to put myself in his sandals and see. And I was like, man, what if that happened and somebody took my wife away like that? Would I return or would I fight? Because if I really loved her, I'd fight for the death. Now, if you had children, you'd be like, well, then the kids, I have no dad, and you got to weigh your options. Abner must have been a really tough dude, because all Abner says is return, and the guy turns around and leaves. And so you might think, well, man, this is horrible. Why would David do this? Well, the other question is, why would this guy marry her, knowing that she was married to David? That's the other question. Why would that happen? Every time we create a new edition of Come Alive, we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you, our valued listener. Have you been touched by the Spirit as you've listened today? If so, we'd love to hear from you. Send us a quick email at info at comealiveradio.com. We'd love to meet you, too. If you're in the Katy area, come join us for our Sunday morning service at Calvary Chapel Katy. We meet at 10 a.m. to dig into the Word with Pastor Mark, worship our loving and powerful Creator, and get to know each other better. You can find out more about us at comealiveradio.com. Before we go, Tracy wants to tell you how you can partner with us here at Come Alive. Thanks, Chris. Each edition of Come Alive that you hear has been professionally produced to minimize any distractions from the message of hope only God can bring. 
While we offer this program for free to our listeners, there are costs involved on our end. Would you pray about joining us as financial supporters of Come Alive? Any and all amounts are useful and so appreciated. Find out more at comealiveradio.com or you can text a donation to Calvary Katie at 77977. That's 77977. Thank you for prayerfully considering this. Thanks, Tracy. We're so glad you joined us today. Pastor Mark will have more to share from this study in the book of 2 Samuel. So join us again for Come Alive. From slaves of